0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen, amen. I love those quotes. I love where we're going. Again, we start our First Things First series today. It's going to take us uh, several weeks, about two months uh, long. These are the foundational values of Hope Bible Church. It's interesting, we haven't done a series like this in about ten years Did you know that next month will be the 10 year mark of when we moved into this building um, from our old building on Lakeshore Road? Yeah, clap for that. Amen. And so. That's fascinating. So October 2012, we moved into this building, and all that's happened uh, since that time, I mean, who would have thought? But it was then that we did a series like this 10 years ago, so it's really, really good timing for us to regather in that light and to unpack first things first. Again, what are our foundational values? We start today, as you heard, the message entitled Unequivocal Authority. And why do we start there? Because we have no values if we don't have God's word. It is God's word that gives us the values that this church, again, sits upon. So here's our bottom line today. It's this. On the screen for you, here's our bottom line. There is no authority that compares, competes, or comes close to the authority of the Bible, the very word of God. Okay, again, it is the Bible alone that holds an unequivocal authority over the church, over our lives, and really over everything else as well. This is our bottom line today. There is no authority that compares, competes, or even comes close to the authority that God has given us in the Bible, the very Word of God. God has proven this. History has proven this. And millions upon millions of radically transformed lives by the message of the gospel found in the Bible has proven this as well. We're gonna spend the first two weeks of our series on specifically the Bible, the doctrine of God's word, the preaching of God's word, and why? Because as we just heard, because if we lose the truth, we lose everything. This is the battle of our day. This has been the battle from the beginning, but everyone now is fighting again for what they say is truth. God has revealed to us his truth in the word, so we must start here because if we lose that, then we're not going to be in a strong place. On the screen for you, First Timothy three, verse 15, okay? Paul says this to Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Now, Now watch this. Here is one of the great purposes of the church defined in this verse, okay? The household of God, which is the church, okay? The church of the living God, a pillar, the foundation, and buttress, the defense of the truth. One of the greatest purposes of the church entrusted with God's word is to be a foundation for and defense of the very gospel, the message of Christ, again, found in the Bible, the authoritative word of God. So, right there. And by the way, as we give scriptures today, man, I hope you came with a Bible to church today. Like, I really, that'll get awkward if we didn't, all right? But, Nay, hey, you got many weeks to come where you can decide to... Anyways, we'll talk about it later. Anyways, it's really good. It's so, so, so excited today again as we see scriptures to know where they are and to mark them in your Bible. Again, much to get through today. This will be a topical message by design, but this message on this scripture will be flooded with scriptures um, as we go. Speaking of that on the screen for you, here's a great one summarizing our time this morning. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. That was kind of lame. Let's try that again, right? Grass, withers, flower flower, The word Whatever our God will stand forever, forever, forever again. Loved ones, we have history. Look back upon centuries of proof. This is true. People come and go. Cultures come and go. Leaders come and go. Those who say that Christianity will be destroyed, the Bible will be obsolete, they die. And the word of God continues Forever. Here we are, again, all these thousands of years later, proving this to be true. That is so encouraging. But listen, what about why is this true? Why does the Word of God stand forever? And that's what we're going to answer again in part today as we launch into this First Things First series. Here's the first reason why the Word of God stands forever. Number one, because the Bible is an authority that's been determined by God, resulting in the canon. It's an authority determined by God, which results in the canon of Scripture. Some of you are like, what, the canon? We're firing shots today? Yes, we are, but not that type of canon. What is the canon? Let's define, some of you have not heard this term before, or maybe haven't defined this before. On the screen, and by the way, this message today is as much teach as preach, but that is so necessary for, I'm very excited about it, actually. Canon is this the list of all the books that belong in the Bible. And you should know, and maybe you wouldn't right now off the top of your head, but the the Bible contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, of course, 27 in the New Testament. We need to know that basic facts that makes up the canon of scripture. Why do we use the word canon? Where does that word canon come from? The word canon can be traced to the ancient Greeks. They used it in a literal sense. When the ancient Greeks spoke of the word canon, it was like um, a rod or a ruler, a staff, a measuring rod. So figuratively speaking then, the word implied straightness or uprightness, and it was used again as a measuring rod to indicate a standard or a norm. So when we speak of the canon of Scripture, that therefore implies the collection of books that constitute or qualify as the written word of God. Again, the canon of Scripture. So the word canon then implies that the Bible only consists of the writings that have been very, very, very important, only consists of the books or writings that have been divinely inspired by God. So therefore, we can say with great confidence, if it's not in the canon of Scripture, then it is not inspired by God. And if it's not inspired by God, then it does not carry the authority of God over our lives, over the church, and beyond. But again, I want to restate our first point. It's so important. It's foundational to our message, okay? Listen carefully, loved ones, okay? The canon is determined by God. This is why our Bible, again, holds ultimate authority over your life, my life, family, our church, our leadership, again, our association of churches and the church as a whole. Now, some of us understand what I just said in its meaning. The canon has been determined by God. Others might have some confusion or they might have some questions. Let me say this way. One of the greatest errors people make, including some, again, parts of religion, church leaders, or the culture in general, one of the great errors people make is this they fail to distinguish between the determination of the canon and recognition of the canon. I'll say that again. One of the great errors people make is they fail to distinguish between how the canon was determined and then subsequently how the canon was recognized. Norm Geiser, I'll lean on him a little bit throughout this message, he's very, very helpful. He says this, this is helpful. If the word canon implies the status of the Bible by virtue of its inspiration, God inspired, again, those books, the word canonicity then often applies to the recognition of this status by the church. Stop and just look at that, and it's the difference between what's been inspired or determined by God, and then it's up to the church to recognize that which has already been determined or inspired. He says, "Then it is the process, Canon City, is the process by which the various books of the Bible were brought together and their value as the Word of God was recognized." Okay, so that's so key. The canon determined by God recognized then by the church. Crucial point of clarity here is this. The starting point in answering the question, where did the Bible come from? The most important answer again is this, the Bible came from God. And if we're gonna understand the Bible came from God, then that leads us to this understanding, um, a proper view then of the canon. In fact, we're gonna make that a sub point, okay? We must have a proper view of the canon. Now listen carefully. Need your attention today. This is such important truth and such important content we're going through. Think of it this way. A book, listen, listen, a book is not canonical because it's valuable. Rather, a book of scripture is valuable because it's been determined by God to be canonical. That was wordy. Some of you didn't get that. Let me say another way. In other words, man doesn't read a book and say, hey, this book is great. Let's put it in the Bible. And therefore decides the scripture. Rather, man reads a book of the Bible, discovers it's supernatural. Why? Because God determined it to be part of the Bible. J.I. Packer, super helpful, brilliant example illustration of this as well. He says this, the church, I love this quote for years, the church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. Extremely helpful, right? Isaac Newton didn't invent gravity. He discovered what was already there. This is the exact same principle applied to scripture, right? God gave us gravity by work of creation. And similarly, he gave us the New Testament canon by inspiring the individual books that make it up. So God breathed out the scriptures and the church over time and disciples over time, they recognized again that which has been inspired by God. We can sum up all this by saying, again, on the screen for you, I'm trying to say it several ways so we get this massively important truth. Canonicity is determined or established authoritatively by God. It is merely discovered by humans. You say, wow, why is this point so important? Why do we belabor it? This is why, okay, this is why. Because if you believe the 1,400 of the verses, 1,400 verses in the Bible that speak to the sovereignty of God, if you believe that God spoke and creation came to be, if you believe that God is infinite strength, power, wisdom, and majesty, then you believe the ultimate reason we have the 66 books of the Bible is because that is exactly what God had predetermined and decided would be. See? So the reason the Bible is infallible, the reason the Bible is indestructible, the reason the Bible is errant, the reason the Bible cannot be made ineffective over time is because, Psalm 138 on the screen for you, because God has exalted above all things his name and his word. Okay? And when God is exalted above all things his name and his word, this book will endure and last forever. Love ones, this just didn't. God wrote a book. God wrote a book. My advice is you should read it. Like, seriously, don't you think? If God wrote a book, we should spend some time to read it? Yes. And speaking of that, now, I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple. Remember, in the back right now, don't put up the verse until the people at least have a chance to turn, okay? We want no lazy Christians today, okay? So I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's hear those pages of the Bible turning. If you have an electronic version that's not as exciting but we'll give you grace today. Again, you know me, if you do know me, I'm all about a physical, actual copy of God's word. Electronic versions can be helpful. There's no doubt about that. I'm just, call me traditional. Mm, I just think it's super important. 2 Peter chapter one, verses 20. Actually, I'm gonna start at verse 19. 2 Peter chapter one. And just in case you don't have a copy of Scripture, next week you will, amen. Let's go, let's go. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, man, we can give you one like this, okay? If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in front of you in the seats right now that you can pick up and use, obviously. If you don't have a copy, you sincerely welcome. that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that Bible with, home with you as long as you promise that you will read it and you will treasure it. Second Peter chapter 1, look at verse 19. Now, this is Peter. And the context is Peter just recalled the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. The glory of Jesus revealed. The holiness and glory. And Peter contrasts what he witnessed in the transfiguration. And listen to what he says here in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed in contrasting the transfiguration. Peter is saying right here, we have something even greater than the glory of the transfiguration Jesus Christ in terms of that which we hold and have to lead us into the future according to God's will. Look at this, he says, to which you would do well to pay attention to the word of God because it is a lamp shining in a dark place until Jesus Christ returns, until the day of Christ, the day dawns as the morning star Jesus Christ rises in your hearts. What an awesome couple of verses on the importance of Scripture. Then he says this, verse 20. Okay, this way. You have to know what these verses are. Okay, Underline them. Highlight them. You must remember. You must know. You must be able to turn in the future. Look what he says here, verse 20. Knowing this first of all, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy. Prophecy of Scripture, just in case that was enough, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Is that clear or unclear? That's clear to me. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God how? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is such a key verse. In terms of scripture telling us, revealing to us as to the doctrine of inspiration and revelation, and as it continues on, of inerrancy as well. This is how this happened. Okay, so there's a correct view of scripture and the authority of God, but there's also an incorrect view of scripture. We're going to put this chart from a study, love this so much. This is very, very helpful, okay? There's an incorrect view as how the church relates to the canon, and there's a correct view. And I want to say this too, okay? This this is the Roman Catholic Church here. With the status of the Pope, with the elevation of the church, the Roman Catholic Church over the centuries has placed the church over the canon. And that's a very, very bad plan. The canon must be over the church, its leaders. The canon of scripture, the word of God, is the highest authority we have from God himself. So watch what happens here if you have the incorrect view. The incorrect view says the church decides the canon. The church is the mother of canon, is the magistrate of the canon, the regulator, the judge, and the master. The church ultimately is in charge and decides how God's word unfolds. That's, that's a very, very dangerous plan because then... It's the church that changes and manipulates and man gets in there with the sinfulness. The correct view though is the church is, look, look at the difference, very, very important. It's very, very crucial teaching. The church is underneath the canon. It is the discoverer, the child of the canon, the minister, the recognizer, the witness. The church is the servant of what God has inspired and given to us again as his God-breathed uh, very words. I want you to think about that. I want you to reflect upon that because that is so, so important. See, what happens when the church is above the canon, what happens is we get something, something like the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is a set of 15 books, which can be useful and helpful, but we don't believe they are inspired. The Catholic church introduced 11 of the Apocrypha books in the 1500s, in the Council of Trent, hundreds and hundreds of years after they were written, why did they add 11 books to the canon, or at least their version of what they call that, again, so many years later? It's because the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther got hold of God's word, what it actually said, and began to teach justification by faith, not by works. And certain teachings of the Catholic Church began to be embarrassingly exposed and wrong. So the Catholic Church, 29 years after Luther's teaching introduced in the Reformation, they had to scramble to find additional resources to justify what we believe are false teachings, penance, Prayers to the dead, again, uh, some kind of salvation by works. They had to find other scriptures to come in because the people started realizing what was actually in God's word and they were being misled. That's how the Apocrypha entered into their version of, of scripture. And it's pretty suspect when you hear the details of how that came about. Again, not that some of those books aren't useful, but they're not inspired by God, which is why they're not in our version of scripture right here it's so important to understand, again, the correct view of Scripture. We serve, again, what God has revealed to us by his Holy Spirit and determined, again, the canon by him breathing that out. So the Bible is an authority determined by God, resulting in the canon. And secondly, the Bible is an authority breathed out by God. We call this the doctrine of inspiration. The Bible has been breathed out by God. Turn in your Bibles to second. Timothy chapter 3. Turn left in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's hear some pages turning. Come on, pressure your neighbor. Let's go. Can't be lazy today. There's no way. There's no way. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You have to know this verse is here. Some of you have this memorized. That is awesome. All of us should be able to be very, very familiar with this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. One of the greatest passages, again, on the origin of Scripture we have. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture, how much of Scripture? All. all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, one of the clearest and best-known states in, in Scripture pertaining to the origin of Scripture. The most powerful part here is the first. Listen, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The word breathed out is the Greek word theopnoustos. Theopnoustos, the only time this occurs in the New Testament. For many years in many translations, this word was rightly translated inspired. You can look back at former translations. All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, what's the problem with this? The over time... The word inspired changes its meaning a little bit. Inspired suggests in-breathing or God-breathing into. But this doesn't fully convey what the Holy Spirit was saying here through Paul. And by the way, notice, notice, it's not theopneustos is always theopneustos. What happens is over time, certain English words change in meaning. happens to us all the time. What it used to mean a couple of years ago, it changes slightly over time. So inspired began to lose its meaning in our current English understanding. So the Greek never changes. The original never changes. The abnustos is always that in the Greek. But we have to change our English to most accurately represent what's actually in the original in the Greek. And so right now, what the ESV did, all scripture has been breathed out by God. And that's very, very important. Okay, So God did not breathe into existing scriptures, nor did God breathe into the authors. Rather, God breathed out the scriptures. In other words, as Erwin Lutzer said, the Bible, metaphorically speaking, is the very breath of God. So God did not just approve the scriptures. He breathed out. God is the full source of all scripture. And by the way, let me just take a time out right here and just some application. Already what we've gone through, this incredible doctrine of the inspiration of God's word and the incredible importance of all that we're learning here about the greatest book, of course, ever written by God himself. Don't you think that you should read the Bible? Like, don't you think it might be a good idea? No, Okay, so here's what we know. How many people in this room, overflow listening, are regularly engaged in the word of God? I, I think we'd be discouraged by that statistic. We just know what it is across the church. We have one life. God has written one book. We have one opportunity It is the book of books. God wrote a book. I think we should read it. What needs to change in your life to align with this simple but powerful reality? Again, I think, you know, um, there's, there's, there's many Christians that will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment, not over salvation, but in judgment what they did with what he gave them, and they're gonna be held to account with the, what was entrusted. And Jesus will be like, hey man, so like, I'm not sure if Jesus is hey man, but you know, whatever. But he's like, hey, so um, I wrote a book and it was like the one thing I gave you. It was, it was like the one thing that I gave to the church as a gift, all the false teaching. There's a lamp unto your feet, a light to your path. It's your compass, man. It was like your milk and solid meat. It was that which nourished you and feeds you. I gave you this book, whatever. And so like, hey, did you read it? And so many believers will be like, uh, uh, yeah, about that. Like, you know, there's like social media and stuff and there's like entertainment. And like at that moment before Christ in his glory and the reality, that one book, you'd be like, you idiot! You idiot! What were you thinking? And again, there's a bit of a pre-warning right now. The reality's gonna come for so many people to understand what was I thinking? I don't know. You know, um, as elders, we pray before Uh, every 830 service and every weekend and this morning I was just listening to the men pray again for the services and every single one of them in their own way said and this morning as I was reading your word and this morning as I was reading your word Lord and they began to pray I can't tell you how blessed I am to hear the men that's surrounding me that's saying this morning when I was in your word man because just like that's it like that I do not take that for granted there are pastors and leaders who are not regularly in the word of God. You surround me with men and women who seek the Lord in his word on a daily basis, and it's going to go well. It won't be easy. It's going to go well. The power and the importance of being under the authority of God's word regularly throughout our lives. And think of it this way, too. We've said this in the past as well, but think of it this way. If God's word is not our authority, something else is. If we're not under the authority of God's word regularly, then some, there's always an authority in our lives. So if it's not God's word, what is it? Is it the church? Can't be the church. In some cases, that is true. Is it your pastor? Can't be the pastor. Pastor underneath, again, the authority of God's word. Is it the culture around you? Is it your professor at school? Is it a political party? Is your authority social media? God help us if that's anywhere close to being true. I mean, seriously, God help us. That is an absolute disaster. And here's the number one growing source of authority in the lives of the world that we currently live. It's this, it's self. The single greatest increasing authority that people are living by is I am my own captain. I will do whatever I want. I am the one who decides what I think is right and wrong. I am my own truth. I, self, I run the day. And that's gonna lead towards utter disaster as well, because it has to. See, the point is, church loved ones, if God's word is not our authority, someone, something else is. And when that happens, someone other than God becomes God or tries to play God within our lives. So don't you see how the logical and theological conclusion of making sure the authority of God's word is ours, otherwise we are left to our own devices. Now think about it too. The very first words of Satan in scripture on the screen for you, the very first words of Satan in scripture are this. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? The very first thing revealed about Satan in scripture is trying to undermine the truth and the authority of God's word. And he's been doing it ever since. Ever since, this is is all he's seen. If he can undermine the book, if he can get culture to change, if he can cause us to water down, to diminish, to doubt, if he can lose the source of authority, he knows the church is in so much trouble. Did God actually say? Did God actually say? This is why you imagine a church that closes the book. Like think about how many churches are doing that now. Whether like directly, explicitly, or subtly, they're closing the book. You are closing the voice of the authority of God's word for that church and for his will and his blessing and flourishing. Did God actually say, Satan says? Where are you hearing that whisper all over your life? It's everywhere all the time. This is what he does. He's the father of lies, Satan is, quoting Jesus. again, he's been doing this all throughout history. So church, listen, think, 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 think. Okay, ready, ready? Hope Bible Church. Hope Bible Church. That has been the center of our name all the way from the beginning for a reason. If we don't have God's truth, what's the point? We don't worship the book. We worship the Messiah revealed in the book, contain the message of the gospel that allows people to be saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Hope Bible church. Again, without the Bible, what's the point? May that never, ever change. Jesus prayed in the greatest prayer ever given, the high priestly prayer, John 17 on the screen for you. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them, transform them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus. This is how he prayed for the church. It's interesting for me too. A lot of people like, oh, you know, the truth, the Bible doctrine, can we just kind of put that aside? Let's all be like Jesus, now, what drives me nuts when people say that, let's be like Jesus. How do you know what Jesus is like? How do you know if your version of Jesus is correct? The only way we know if what you say Jesus is like is through the very Bible that Jesus, again, allowed us to have. You can't close the Bible and follow Christ, that's impossible. You need the open Bible and the words of Christ to be able to accurately and gently follow him. So, watch out when people say that. Oh, no, truth and doctrine, put that, it just divides. Let's all be like Jesus. And your definition of that is what you want Jesus to look like? No, thanks. I want to stick here so I know exactly what Jesus looks like. On that topic, too, how did Jesus view the scripture? I'm going to, this is like two seconds here, okay? But this is, we use this in the past, and as you can take a picture of it. We're going to put the slide up on our website somewhere this week. I mentioned that last service, but this is—I loved this. Jesus viewed Scripture as divine authority, imperishability, infallibility, unbreakability, ultimate supremacy, factual inerrancy, historical reliability. That must be really hard to translate for the deaf ministry, eh? That must be really hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just thought of you there. I'm like, wow, that's tough. And he affirmed its scientific accuracy. Okay, but look at look at look at how Jesus viewed excellent Bible study this week. Do it. Take advantage of it. Go through it. So encouraging. And by the way, if you deny inerrancy or inspiration, then you're calling Jesus a liar because it's so clear how Jesus viewed scripture. I don't want to call Jesus a liar. Maybe you do. I don't. Right? This is, this is so important. The Bible is an authority breathed out by God, inspiration. It's been determined by God in the canon. And thirdly, and lastly, so much we could talk about today, but I'm excited to do this, and we'll continue on next week a little bit. Number three, the Bible is an authority backed by evidence, reliability. Here's some evidence as to the facts on scripture. We have so much evidence, church, as to the historical reliability, factual certainty, Of the Bible. Let's first talk about the unity of the Bible. What do you mean by that unity? It was written over a period of 15 centuries, written in three different languages. Think about that. 15 centuries. During this period, empires rose and fell, cultures came and went, but the unity of Scripture was not affected. The Bible was written by 40 different human authors. All sorts of different people kings, fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, prophets, and a doctor. They wrote in different periods of world history, yet their writings intertwine miraculously. The books were penned under different circumstances, different countries, and different cultures written in Asia, Africa, Europe, Paul in a Roman dungeon, James in Jerusalem, Moses from Sinai, and Daniel from Babylon. And it goes on. The Bible discusses diverse theological matters on the nature of God, Salvation of man, the doctrine of sin, the plan of redemption. Imagine the difficulty of getting just a few men to agree on these under such circumstances, yet 40 perfectly agree on all these matters over 1,500 years, 40 different authors. That is amazing. In fact, it's not amazing. That is supernatural. It is absolutely supernatural. The unity of the Bible. We have all this evidence to look at. How about the reliability Of the Bible, look at this graph here on the screen. When it comes to historical, again, documents in antiquity, okay, this this is how many manuscripts in the Greek we have in the the New Testament over fifty eight hundred, and how many manuscripts we have in all languages, again, about twenty four thousand. Compared to the rest of Roman history and other sources of history, this is never questioned. This is never questioned. This becomes questionable. Look at the massive amount of evidence that we have today, again, of historical reliability and certainty of what we hold within our hands. I'll read this for you. The New Testament has around 24,000 manuscripts, over 5,800 Greek manuscripts, with a 0.5% textual variant rate, none of which... Have significance on major doctrine or meaning, and we have manuscripts that date back as early as 50 years after the original was penned. That means the New Testament, the scriptures we hold, is by far, by far, the most reliable work of antiquity in existence. By far. We hold in the Bible the most reliable work of antiquity in existence. It's so interesting, eh? Like Homer's Iliad, that's never banished. It's never attacked. It's never burned. Never questioned. But the Bible's been attacked and banned and burned and tried to be destroyed. I love, I love, and we have the advantage of history. We look back and we understand those people have died. And the word of God carries on because the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God stands forever, forever. forever. And that's just our reality. Oh, be so encouraged, loved ones. Be so encouraged. How about the reproduction of the Bible? The Bible Society of the United Kingdom calculates that the number of Bibles printed between 1816 and 1975 was just under $2.5 By 1992, the estimated number rose to nearly six billion. Furthermore, the worldwide sales of the Bible number more than a staggering 100 million each year, far outpacing any book in history. Other books, it might sell some millions a year, and then they fade out the Bible year after year after year after year after year. Without a doubt, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. In 2018, more than 354 million scripture items were physically distributed worldwide. That's not even counting digital forms. YouVersion's Bible app alone has been downloaded over 400 million times by the end of 2019. Currently, the complete Bible has been published in over 450 languages. The New Testament alone has been published in 1,551 languages. In over 3,400 languages have some part of the Bible translated. These figures represent about half of the languages and dialects presently in the world. But nonetheless, listen, they include the primary vehicles of communication of over well over 90% of the world's population. Now, how is all this possible? There's only one way this is possible. God wrote a book. There's only one way. God wrote a book. Again, let's stop here for a second for some application. Okay, I'm telling you. Again, all this waves of encouragement to God's word and the massive evidence that we hold. I'm telling you, ready? Less TikTok, more scripture. Like, please, please. Parents are like, yeah, let's go. You know, like, I had a friend like last service came up. Have you ever thought about TikTok, TikTok, waste my life, brain dead, TikTok, time of wasting dead. And it's designed to do that. I don't want to pick just on TikTok. Well, I actually do. <laughs> hey, hey, but honestly, honestly, moment of wisdom, right? Hey, hey, the phone's ringing. Do you hear that? Ring. It's wisdom. It's calling for you right now. And what is wisdom saying? Less TikTok, more scripture, more Bible. Can God wrote a book? I mean, whatever your equivalent is to TikTok, just think about it. Do not get to the end of the one life you have and stand before Christ and sit there speechless with nothing to account for. Don't let that happen. Scripture. The Bible, absolutely precious in value. I want you to turn to one more passage with me as we get close to wrapping up here. First Peter chapter one, right near the end of the New Testament. First Peter chapter one. Let's get get those pages turning. Let's go. Keep applying that pressure. First Peter one verse twenty two. First Peter one verse twenty two. All right, now I'm watching to see. That's good, you guys are turning. That's good, let's go, let's go. Don't be lazy, don't be lazy, not today. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, make sure you know where we are. Look at this passage here, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Peter says this, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere, brotherly, sisterly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Verse 23. Verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, how? Through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains Forever. Look at that. And he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Again, it's the message of God in his word that contains the gospel of God that points us to the Son of God that we might be transformed by the Spirit of God and then live again Jesus Christ resulting in the return of God where we're there again forever transformed by him. It all comes down to the word of God giving us the message of Jesus Christ. I'm saying we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus Christ revealed in the Bible. Without the Bible though we're done, we're dead. This book is infinitely precious in those terms. So interesting, again, this week, thoughts on Queen Elizabeth, her passing. I saw this, I saw this a couple of days ago. I couldn't help but put it in. In the 1953 coronation of Queen Elizabeth, she was presented with a Bible. Now remember, in her coronation, she is wearing a crown, I think 2,900 precious jewels. Inestimable value of the crown upon her head. And this is what they say to her in tremendous wisdom. We present you with this book. The most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively, living oracles of God. That's awesome. And I thought... From what I understand, she sought to live that out with integrity. Look at, look at They understood. She's, she's literally, and you just know, like the whole procession, the world, all that stuff. The most valuable thing this world affords, the Holy Bible. Absolutely true. So loved ones, we hold in our hands a book that is to die for. It is to die for because of the message that it contains, the very salvation of man in faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I was... I want to fire myself up a little bit more? So last night I pulled up John Piper's um, biography, short biography of William Tyndale, and I just read it before bed, and it fired me up. I mean, Tyndale literally died for translating this book into English, so that, as he quoted, the plowboy would have more knowledge of the Scriptures than the Pope himself. He died. He was strangled and burned at the stake because he just wanted this to be in English. And of course, it was leaders of the church that killed him and executed him in the process. It's a book worth dying for because without the book, there is no church. Without the book, there is no salvation. It is the preaching of the gospel that we are to guard the good deposit. We are to treasure it. We are to hunger for it. We are to be obedient to this book. And so we're about to sing a song in response called The Hope of Ages. And one of the verses, and this is why we picked this like this weekend primarily. It's such good words everywhere. But this is the second verse that says, His word is the answer for all generations. It will never be tainted. It will never be broken. I love this. This is our confession. This is our conviction. We believe what is written. We believe what you've spoken. So when this verse comes up, this is kind of like our climax to the service, all right? And if if you want to, man, I can just get your Bible up, man. This is our confession. This is our conviction. We believe what you've written. We believe what you've spoken, what a cool moment that is for our church as well, to be so encouraged to say yes, and we are people of one book. You wanna prick us and we will bleed, Biblin, as it was said, again, I think by John Wesley. Lord, help us, Lord, help us. May you change us. Let's pray, church, let's pray. Yes, Lord, I pray so much right here that there is a growing hunger and thirst for you, but how do we know you? Church, remember, you cannot love God unless you know God. The single greatest way we know God is through his word. The single greatest way we are transformed is by the Holy Spirit, by renewing of our minds through scripture. Lord, to say it one more time. We don't worship the book, but we worship the savior, Jesus Christ, revealed in the book. And for that, we are infinitely grateful and thankful. I pray right now, Lord, you will lead your church, Hope Bible Church to absolute transformation, hunger, and thirst for righteousness in you. Less of the world, more of Christ. Less of wasting our time, more hunger for your word. Less, Lord, apathy and complacency. More alertness, wakefulness, watchfulness, and deep desire for your truth in our lives. May it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship with joy together.